Hi, I'm Dave Westberg, and you're listening to the Billboard Insider Podcast, where I interview industry leaders about trends impacting the U.S. out-of-home advertising business. This podcast is sponsored by Be Seen 24-7, a company which purchases TriVisions, any brand, any condition in the lower 48 states. If you're replacing your TriVision with a digital, now's the time to make a few bucks. Call or text ROYAL at 518-353-0110 or email R-O-Y-A-L at B-E-S-E-E-N 24-7.com. I'm talking with Kevin Geppert, an, an expert in out-of-home sales. Kevin has 37 years experience selling advertising, including 12 years selling out-of-home advertising. Welcome to the show, Kevin. Thanks, Dave. I appreciate being on with you. Kevin, uh, talk about your sales background. I Started in sales just a couple of years after I got into broadcasting, I decided that I really liked the business side of broadcasting and the business side of media sales more than than being the next Howard Stern. <laughs> so I got into sales and loved it, kind of progressed in the chairs through sales management, then even into general management. But I really decided that what turns me on, what I really love to do is sell, street level selling. So I got back into sales and finished my career as a senior account rep with Clear Channel Radio at the time, now iHeartRadio, and then went over to the billboard side of Clear Channel. So I was at the outdoor side of Clear Channel for 12 years before starting my career as a consultant. The other interesting thing I think about my background is I worked for very small companies and I worked for two of the largest. I worked for CBS Corporation and I worked for Clear Channel. So it makes my background, I think, unique in that regard. You know, it's ironic. The way I ran across you was I saw when you retired, Clear Channel Outdoor ran a full digital billboard ad, didn't didn't they? With your picture. And I saw it and we connected and that's... I felt like a celebrity. The little kids out in our street <laughs> that, that play ball out here all the time on our street, they go, hey, Kevin, I saw you on a billboard. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> if I have to say that when I was in broadcasting, when I thought I was going to be an air talent, had I retired as an air talent, I would have never ever had that kind of send off or salute, right? <laughs> Even though I was the star of a certain radio market out. And They're never kind of them. a dime a dozen on the air. They let him go and it's you're gone. Yeah. Right. You're when right. Howard Stern retires, is he going to get a 64 <laughs> billboard salute? I don't think so. I bet not. Kevin, what do you know now that you wish you knew at the start of your out-of-home sales career? Wow. Big question. I'll say one of the biggest things is that every time my employer paid me, they paid me twice. They paid me in cash, money, check, and they also paid me in training and career development. And I wish I would have more fully understood that because the fact that I was able to take my skill set from job to job and, and, and media type to media type, those things that I learned and those things that I assimilated into my skill set are things that I use to this day. They're things that I use when I write my columns and when we do the training, like the training session we just did in Atlanta. If I were advising someone in the business, I'd say, take that paycheck. The money's probably not gonna be around as long as your skill set and your career development is. Luckily, I worked for a couple of companies early on in my career that invested heavily in me and my talent development. So be selfish, get the training, it'll pay your entire career. Now, you spoke to 48 out-of-home sales reps at a conference last week on selling out-of-home. Uh, what surprised you? There was a woman there who has only been in the out-of-home sales business for nine months, and she's a sponge. She 
was taking it all. And she said to me in one of the breaks, we did this fun thing called stump the facilitator where we threw out objections and people try and stump me. And it wasn't that hard. Come on, it wasn't that hard. But we opened it up to the room uh, of the senior people in the room to also answer these objections. She said, you know what, Kevin? I can't believe that the same objections I'm facing nine months in are the same objections that these senior people face day in and day out. And I said, yeah, it's, it's pretty universal what we all face on the street. So that surprised me. It also surprised me and really encouraged me the level of senior people that came to this Oasis session that was organized by Neil Bell. It was these senior people are in a constant state of learning and improvement. And it's really, really impressive. Let's come back to that question about object, objections. So just starting sales rep said, you know, the objections that you're hearing as an experienced seasoned rep are the same objections that I'm hearing. What are some of the objections and how do you go about selling against those objections? The biggest objection by far was I don't have any money. And as one of the senior reps or one of the senior leaders, I think he might might have been in management, I don't remember, one of the senior leaders in the room said, you know what, you have to drill down. That's a very hollow objection. What do you mean you don't have any money? You don't have any money this month? You don't have any money at all? What do you mean? So drill down and figure out. So oftentimes it means that they've got their money budgeted, not spent, but budgeted. It's committed elsewhere. Yeah. And they're not about to disrupt their budget just because you came in with a hot idea. There was a gentleman there who works in an extremely small market. He goes, Kevin, I want to just tell you, there, there's a, such a thing as actually not having money because some of these small business people, they don't have any cash in their account. <laughs> I explained to him that in that case, you don't have an objection problem. You have a prospecting problem, right? Yes. You have yes. to go find somebody that has money. But, yes. you know. It's, I know it's easier said than done. You've also talked with me about the timing of when you contact, when you do your research, the timing of when you want to contact an executive, when he or she has been promoted, the timing of when you do that is very important. Explain that a little. First of all, you need to be the best business person you can be in your marketplace that just happens to sell out of home. When you do that, you're going to track what's going on in the business marketplace through the business section of your local paper, through your business journal, and so on. You're going to see that there are going to be changes in general management and marketing management or sales management within a company. That change is your gain. Nobody ever got a promotion or a job by promising the status quo. I'm not going to do anything. I'm going to keep everything just as it is. 75% yeah. of the time, change comes from some pain that they had to change the person out. 25% comes from normal attrition. Either way, there's change. And four to six months after that person is announced, they're likely going to, likely going to be ready to execute a program. You want to get in there as soon as you can, help them define and refine the problem, and show them that out of home is a solution to what they need. What, what I'm hearing you say is the key may not be the day after they're in the new job. The key may be four to six months later. Now, now they've, you want to get in and get a, to get access, but maybe when the ideas will get acted on maybe four to six months later. Right. You want to build a bridge as quick as you can. Give them a moment to catch their breath. If you're, if you're trying to get in too early, you know, the first four to six weeks, you're just going to become white noise to them. So give them time to figure out where everything is at. But you do want to be in early enough to affect 
the selection, the media selection, when they get to executing their plan. You touched a little bit earlier on the importance of taking advantage of career opportunities to build your sales skills. You've used this word entrepreneurship as well with respect to what makes a good out-of-home sales rep, but what is entrepreneurship and how should an out-of-home rep apply it? It means you are a business owner and operator within the context of a bigger enterprise. You don't have to go out and get a lease on a building. You don't have to set up a business department, but you are running your business within the context of a business. It's important to know, too, that the opposite of an entrepreneur is an hourly employee. So you are probably the only true entrepreneur within your office. Your office people, your ops people, even your general manager and your sales manager are not entrepreneurs, they're employees. If you're high commission or straight commission, you're running your business within the context of a larger business. One of the characteristics, and I talked about this in Atlanta at our training session in Atlanta, one of the characteristics of being an entrepreneur is you should spend three to 5% of your gross income on your business, growing your business. Just like the hardware store that you sell billboards to, they spend three to 5% on advertising and marketing to grow their business. You wanna spend money on training, technology, all those things that are gonna provide a return on investment for your growth. You've talked about things as simple as using, taking advantage of some of LinkedIn's marketing or maybe investing in data, investing right. in prospect leads. Absolutely. Sales, sales Navigator in LinkedIn is a great tool. It's not that expensive. The business databases like Hoover's and Exact Data and some of those, you really want to have access to those. And if your company's not inclined to provide, if your company provides it, great, then you can spend your money on something else. They're expensive. They're very valuable, but very expensive. So partner with one or two other reps in your sales office to split the cost of like a Hoover's subscription so that you can go in and get data on any company you want. Hoover's, by the way, is owned by Dun & Bradstreet. Some people may or may not know that. Dun & Bradstreet is the gold standard when it comes to keeping business data. So it's expensive, but it's worth it. Be Seen 24-7 started in 2010 with one face. Today, it has a growing 158-face plant in northern New York. Due to rapid growth, 24-7 needs your used Trivisions. It buys any brand, any condition, and arranges pickup in any of the lower 48 states. If you are replacing your Trivision with a digital, now is the time to make a few bucks. Call or text ROYAL at 518-353-0110 or email royal, R-O-Y-A-L, at B-E-S-E-E-N 24-7.com. Kevin, you tell a great story about the need to qualify prospects. Could you, could you tell that story? We had a phenomenal new rep in our sales department, and she was fearless. She would get on the phone with anybody, and I heard her back in the corner talking to saying these incredibly brilliant things to these prospects on the phone. And she was getting very frustrated. And I had to tell her one day, she's saying all the right things to all the wrong people. Yeah. Figuring out who your ideal customer profile is seems very basic. But I will tell you that when you work in a large company and in a larger market, they're gonna say, well, go after the Fortune. You know, you got, a, you got 3M based here. You got Best Buy, go after those people. Mm -hmm. Those companies are very encumbered with ad agencies and with multiple levels of marketing people. You won't crack those companies 
in your lifetime. Similarly, the one and two poster for four week customer is not going to pay the bills. I had a boss one time, somebody was patting themselves on the back of having sold a poster. She said, wow, if we sell them one at a time, we're all going to go broke. <laughs> Somewhere between the one at a time and the Fortune 500 companies is a sweet spot. For me, it was multiple location retail. And it was also regional brands. There are a lot of regional brands, regional coffee companies, candy companies, snack food companies, beer companies, liquor companies. These regional brands will really be excited about what we can do for them. So the other thing you wanna do is when you're qualifying is be sure that you want somebody that's big enough to matter, but also small enough or accessible enough for you to get to the business decision maker. If the business decision maker is in Schenectady and you're in Baton Rouge, it's not going to work. It's going to be really hard to affect change. So make sure you know who your ideal customer is and you have access to them. These regional multi-site retail clients, did they even have a CMO? Was the CEO the decision maker or did they have a CMO? Who was typically the decision maker? Very good question. It varied a lot, Dave. Most of the time, like with a with a regional brand, if it's a newer region, some of these regional brands have been around 130 years. So, you know, the 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 CEO, the the business decision maker, is is not that involved. I will say that the more likely the business is being run by the individual entrepreneur who started it, the more likely it is that they are the person to make the decisions. I think more the more a company evolves, the more likely they're going to have marketing people. Mm-hmm. One of the things we talked about in Atlanta was we always want to see the CEO, but the CEO is designed as the center of enterprise opportunity. So the CEO isn't necessarily the chief executive officer of the company. Mm-hmm. The CEO is the center of enterprise opportunity. Whoever owns the problem that you're trying to solve is the CEO, and it, it can vary greatly. Mm-hmm. Kevin, there's sea change in the industry, the switching more and more static faces to digital. And digital is becoming an increasing portion of the revenue of out of home. Can you talk a little about some of the challenges of selling digital out of home versus static? I think it's all upside. When I People have asked me when I came over from radio, how, how does radio differ from selling out of home? Well, out of home when I came to it 12 years ago was just kind of coming out of that huge, that huge long lead time required for advertisers to go up. Used to be 60 days to get your board painted, then it backed down to about 30 days to get your board printed, but it was still a, it was still a lead time. I think it's all upside when it comes to digital, because first of all, digital can now be sold like broadcast in that you can sell something today and have it up on Monday. And that was unheard of in our business before. The other thing about digital is it's high reach. I say it's the only high reach real time medium available. High reach, certainly. Television's high reach, but television can't be real time. Digital and social marketing, social digital marketing can be real time, but it's not high reach. We're the only one that bridges the two. The other thing I'll say about digital is every time I see, and unfortunately I sold some of these, so I'm not I'm not casting aspersions. Every time I see a static image on a digital, I think it's an enormously wasted opportunity. 
we are all in different mindsets based on the day of the week. If nothing else, the day of the week tells our mindset. I was talking about recruiting advertising in Atlanta. I said, you know, a recruiter has to have a Monday ad saying, hey, hate your job, start going back to your job today and you hate it, call us. Yeah. As the week goes on, you talk about other aspects. Friday, we're all in a different mindset on Friday than we are Monday morning. So speak to that as a recruiter, say, gonna have fun this weekend. Why don't you start a job you like on Monday, call us. The, the weekend messaging can all point to the fact that, you know, you can have a fresh outlook on your career. And then when it comes to sales, don't say we have a sale starting on August 31st. Say we have a sale starting this Thursday. We have a sale starting tomorrow. We have a sale starting. People say, well, it, it takes a lot of time and effort to be updating all that creative. Yes, it does. Success requires a lot of time mm -hmm. and effort. Mm -hmm. We really have to make the digital be as real time as it can be if we're going to help our advertisers monetize it the best. And I think of the tools are getting so much better. I think of uh, some of Lucid's tools, which allow you as a real estate agent to put up inventory real time on the board. Hey, you know, uh, turn right, go three blocks and buy this home. Or you can say, here are the trucks that are available in the lot now. There's, there's so much you can do that's real time that digital makes possible. I love conditional content. Mm. The Vikings... Being here in Minneapolis, St. Paul, of course, the Vikings are the team. They were in a playoff game a few years ago, and we had some beautiful, gorgeous digital in downtown Minneapolis. And I had a casino that had conditional copy, one if they won the game, one if they lost the game. And actually, I had two different advertisers that had that going. So they did win the game, mm -hmm. and I couldn't help myself. I had to jump in the car, drive down there. It's kind of the middle of January. These two guys are standing out in front of one of the bars in downtown Minneapolis, and I see the one guy nudge his buddy and point up because the billboard had the casino congratulating the Vikings on their win within 10 minutes after they won. And I'm sure they're standing there going, how did that happen? <laughs> Capturing the moment is something we can do better than any other medium. And I love conditional content for that reason. Kevin, you just published the ultimate out-of-home sales guide in conjunction with Billboard Insider. Talk about what's in the guide and how it can help an out-of-home company. We try to make it as systematic as possible. So you start at the beginning, we talk about the needs analysis, we talk about solving customer problems and ideas, we take it all the way through the what we call the service guarantee that, that your customers can and should expect from you. It's very systematic. There's There are two installments there that are aimed at managers, but I, I'd like to think that out-of-home reps are going to take something away from that as well. I see it as a competitive advantage to an out-of-home sales rep. If you have this book, you want to read it, of course, but I think you're going to want to keep it in your in your workstation as a reference. So when it talk about you know objection handling or talk about ways to present a compelling presentation, you can flip to that chapter and it's there. The other reason I think it's valuable is I know when I was a sales manager, I was always starved for content for my sales meetings. These first 38 chapters that I was involved in each one of them is a self-contained sales meeting. It's a particular topic. It gives points, study points and, and information points. And it's a great thing to open up for a discussion in a sales meeting. So you, as a salesman, you have 38 pre-planned sales meetings right there. You mentioned service guarantee. You're a big believer of actually presenting a client with a written service guarantee. Talk a little bit about that and why it's important. I found that you get a client excited, you show them compelling ideas, 
and they're buying into it. And then whether they say anything or not, I feel like they settle back in their chair and they're like, oh, I just hope this comes off the way he says it's going to, right? Mm -hmm. I hope this guy is for real. I hope that he's going to deliver on what he says. There's nothing more reassuring than a service guarantee. It talks about the level of contact you're gonna have before the program goes live and during the program. It talks about the proof of performance you're gonna provide. It talks about what happens if, if copy blows out or if the, if the digital goes dark. It talks about all those things. I would really encourage reps before you write or before you publish yours or start using yours, write it out. I would encourage reps to go to the terms and conditions of your company's contract. I hope everybody's read those. I'm surprised oftentimes reps, they haven't read those terms and conditions. They don't know what they say. Read them, highlight anything in there that you think is that the company is assuring for the client and put that in your service guarantee. Um, So-and-so out of home company assures, but put that in your service guarantee, write it out, Show it to your manager, make sure it gets your manager's blessing because you don't want to be out there showing them something that's contrary to what the company wants to represent. And then put a signature blank at the bottom of your service guarantee and sign it. I don't know of any other time that we ever sign anything when it comes in the proposal stage, but now you've signed your service guarantee and now it's really, you've got some skin in the game. You know, there's, and I think it's a myth that sales stops at the sale. Part of good sales is how you engage with the client after the sale to create the, and, and strengthen relationship. Part of it's your guarantee and how you execute the guarantee. But Kevin, talk about your philosophy of how you sell after the sale. You renew an annual contract 52 times, 52 <laughs> weeks a year. This crusty old sales trainer I used to use, he said that he would frequently go back to this motel. He had an annual contract with this motel because he trained in this town all the time. And he, he was going every night or not every night, but frequently. And the guy said, well, sign a contract. I'll give you a better rate. You have a... As soon as he signed an annual contract, the service went down. The follow through went down. He came in one day and he tore up the contract. He says, you're not going to stay with us? No, I'm going to stay with you. I'm just not going to I'm not going to have you take my business for granted anymore. Hmm. So hmm. sell it 52 weeks a year because we all face cancellations. I have, a, I have a chapter in there in the book about, you know, what do you do when you get that dreaded cancellation call? Mm -hmm. But we should know if we're adequately checking in with a customer, we should never be blindsided by cancel. It happens, but it should be a rarity that we find out that the client is not going to renew. And that happens from servicing always. That's all for this week. Thanks for appearing on the show, Kevin. I loved it. I loved it. You can tell I, I love out-of-home sales. I, I could talk about it all day. Thanks, Dave. You can purchase your copy of the Ultimate Out-of-Home Sales Guide for $69.95 by visiting billboardinsider.com. This podcast was edited by Lucas Jones and sponsored by Be Seen 24-7, the company which purchases TriVisions, any brand, any condition, anywhere in the lower 48. If you're replacing your TriVision with the digital, now's the time to make a few bucks. Call or text Royal at 518-353-0110 or email royal, R-O-Y-A-L, at B-E-S-E-E-N 24-7.com. You can listen to episodes of the Billboard Insider Podcast by visiting billboardinsider.com or subscribing to the Billboard Insider Podcast on iTunes or any of the usual podcast outlets. Our email is davewestberg at billboardinsider.com. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for listening. I'll be back in a couple of weeks.